You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Hey, now, friends, I want to jump into our uh, teaching. This is something next week Pastor Keith is going to be talking about in the name of Jesus, and we're going to have a ministry response time. And this week, I I want to take a different bent towards that. I want to start by asking two things of you, whether you're online or you're in this gathering. I don't often ask something of you, but I would like to ask something of you before we jump in. The first is this. I would like to invite you to lean in. This is not a message for your spouse. It's not for your wife. It's not for your husband. It's not for your brother or your sister, your aunt, your cousin. It's not for your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. It's not for your second cousin removed. It's not for your friends. It's not for the people sitting around you. This is for you. This is for you. This is a message that I believe applies to everyone. But Pastor Jonathan, I don't even follow Jesus. I'm just here. Great. This is for you. This is for you. The second thing I would love to ask you to do is to press your complicated button. Because what we're going to talk about today is a little complicated. We have a tendency in the culture and world we live in, and certainly in the church, to simplify, oversimplify complicated things. Do you ever notice that in social media? If you're on social media, you certainly do. There are large, complex social issues in culture and society, and people oversimplify it to 120 characters in Twitter. And they, they pontificate, they trivialize very complicated issues, and in turn, it incites anger and responses. It's all, it's, it's a mess. Sometimes when you oversimplify complicated things, you trivialize it. And in church world, we can do the same thing, and I'll show you in a minute. Today, I want to talk about something complicated. You've already picked it up through our worship gatherings. Pastor Matt and the others led us. So, man, what a great time of worship, uh, celebrating freedom that God has given us. Uh, I want to talk to you about freedom. And freedom's a little complicated. See, I think when you study the scripture, you quickly realize that freedom is a path, it's not an event. Sometimes we make it an event in a moment, but only to find out later in life that it was a pathway. Freedom is not something you need at once upon a time. Freedom is something that you need every day. Freedom is something that God keeps moving us in and towards. It's not something that we had at one point in time. We had an event, a moment where we were freed, and that's it. See, friends, I think you need a little bit more freedom. I think I need more freedom. What do you need freedom from, though? Well, it's different for all of us, isn't it? Do you need freedom from an addiction? A behavior that has trapped you and controls you and determines your steps even? Or do you need freedom from, when I I was growing up, preachers would call it besetting sins. These are sins that actually control you. Every human being sins. All of us do. We do things that fracture our lives and fracture our relationship with God. Every one of us does. But besetting sins go a little bit further. They control you. Some people call them strongholds or bondages, and they control your desires, and they actually control your decisions. You know you are struggling with a besetting sin when you've been in settings like this. You've asked God forgiveness. Thursday comes. You're right back there again. It's almost like you feel helpless not to do it. You feel helpless not to go there. That's a controlling sin in your life. For some of us, our prison looks more like a religious mindset. We have such legalistic views, 
And it keeps us from enjoying life and it keeps others from being able to enjoy you because there's a rigidity in your life and it's a prison of religious mindsets. For some of us, our prison is an improper view of God. I like what this man said, Meister Eckhart, hundreds of years ago, he said this, God as you really are, rid us of God as we imagine you to be. Have you developed an improper view of God? You know what we do sometimes? Is we have such a low view of God. Now, not a low view of God that we don't think he's special and different, but a low view of God that we have taken him out of the realm of being able to do the impossible and we've dragged him right into the possible. That somehow he's a self-help God. God helps those who help themselves. We like him, we want him a part of our lives because he can help be the difference maker but we have dragged him out of the impossible doing God, the miracle, wondrous God who is powerful and able to do anything, anything, nothing outside of the realm of possibility with God. Have you reduced your view of God? Do you come into gatherings and not expecting much? Likely that's what you'll find then. I wonder though if your improper view of God goes a little bit like this because I think we've all been here have you come to God on your own terms? Did you ever do that? You come into God in relationship with him on your own terms. As if we had the ability to negotiate with God. God says, I want you, and you know I'm a prize. <laughs> and here's what the deal is. I don't want these things that you offer. I don't kind of like this teaching here, but I want this benefit over here. You ever been there? Of course, we all do this. We all do this. We negotiate. You know, when we are in a negotiating relationship with God, I'll tell you what he's not. He's not master. He's not God of your life. He's helper. And we've got to be very careful. We develop an improper view of God where he's not God. He's a helper along the way. Now, maybe your prison looks a lot more practical. Maybe you're in a prison of successive relational toxic relationships. They might be romantic in nature. They might even be friendships. But you just seem to need people to need you, and there's plenty of people that want to be needed. And you find yourself in successive toxic cycles, and it's a prison for you. For some reason, you attract people with the same angst you have. They're not on the solution side. They're not on the positive side. They're on the negative side, and like begets like, and before you know it, you're in a cycle of friendships and relationships that you know are just draining you of freedom, imprisoning you. For some of us, this is a tough one. Our prison is pride. You know what? I was growing up, I used to think when I'd hear somebody say, pride is the root of all evil or pride is the worst sin, I'd always think, well, I don't know. Like, it seems just like overconfidence, right? And then I'd meet an arrogant person, and I'd say, well, I guess you know, nobody likes an arrogant person. I guess that would be pride. The older I've gotten, I've determined and seen in my life and in the path of others that pride is the toxic sludge that is the foundation for all that is sin. It is so destructive and distorting. Here's what pride can do to me. I can become a master at finding the speck in your eye and be an amateur at seeing the plank in mine. Pride blinds you. Pride makes you think you can do it alone. Pride makes you think you don't need the people that are around you right now. And pride makes you think you may come to places where you might need God a little, but just to help over the top. 
There's no desperation around it. Pride is blinding. For some of us, our prison is greed. And that's a tough prison to be in when you're greedy. Because the Bible would teach you that greed is something that you can't see in yourself. Only other people can see it in you. So people around you know that you have a love of money that's uncontrollable, that creates a lack of generosity and everything in your life, but you can't see it in yourself. For some of us, it's selfishness. That's an easy one. I think we know those things where we like to be served. For others in us, it's jealousy. Jealousy is a tough prison, isn't it? You know what I don't like about jealousy? Jealousy makes you unable to celebrate other people's victories. It's almost like you kind of wish they fell. Hey, you wish they tripped up. Why? Because you'd feel a little better about you. Jealousy. Terrible, terrible prison to find yourself in. For some of us, it's judging others. You ever get in the place? I've been here. You've probably been there here. Maybe none of you have. You guys are doing so well. But you ever been in the place where you're judging people's motives? Not their actions, their motives. All of a sudden, it kind of distorts. It toxifies relationships right away. Toxifies them. Maybe, though, your prison looks like something many people struggle with. Maybe your prison is worry. Maybe your prison is fear. And in light of that, you live such a small life. Take some time to unpack that there's so many other prisons, but I want to say this, friends. I think everyone listening could take another step towards freedom. It wasn't something for once upon a time. It's something for today. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And today, Jesus' Spirit is here. And I think this of you, and I think it of me, I think we all need a little bit more freedom. Freedom from mentalities, bondages, brokenness that control us and contain us. But here's the thing in church world, and this is why I think it's a little complicated. We have a tendency to oversimplify freedom in our context. Here's what we do. Many of us as Christians, we try to take shortcuts to freedom. Sometimes a shortcut works. Don't you love it when a shortcut works? Don't you, don't you hate it, though, when, when, when your Google Maps is taking you one direction and it promises you a shortcut and it's not a shortcut? Here's the thing, friends. We tend to oversimplify freedom when we seek freedom through inspiration. When we seek freedom through inspiration, we tend to oversimplify the act of freedom that God has for us. Now, here's how we do it. Because people, and I, I'm bringing this up as your pastor to say, I am noticing a growing trend in church world that concerns me a little bit in this regard. I feel like inspiration junkies are growing left, right, and center. In other words, inspiration, we're looking for a feeling of being free. Inspiration provides that. Now, you're going to hear in a moment, I think godly inspiration is incredibly important in its right place. But we have people who chase around. Oh, God's moving over here. God's moving over here. This guy said this. This new song here. This new preacher here. This new community here. And we end up chasing freedom through inspiration. Inspiration by itself cannot lead to freedom. It won't. Instead, inspiration by itself will lead to further bondage. Because you'll always be chasing something you can't lay hold of. Inspiration gives you that feeling. Because when you're truly free, there is a confidence in you. There is a joy. There is, there is something like you feel like you can run through a wall. There is a freedom that gives you such a confidence in Christ. 
Inspiration gives you the illusion of feeling that, but you come Monday, it's gone. It's gone. You were inspired in the moment, and nothing changes. See, friends, inspiration is a part of God's plan for freedom. But listen, here's the truth. Inspiration without perspiration is not a formula for liberation. It's not. You can inspire yourself all you want, but without some perspiration on the back end. Here's the problem with freedom, and it's complicated. Sometimes freedom requires hard work. Inspiration is part of that. How many know when you're in the middle of hard work, a little inspiration helps you get through it, doesn't it? It's part of God's plan for helping us be free. But inspiration without perspiration is not liberation. Some of us, we've had people pray for us, we've experienced measures of freedom in our life, and then comes the hard work. The hard work of having a tough conversation you've been avoiding for months. The hard work, I know this firsthand, of humbling yourself to say, I might need some counseling to get better, to be free. The hard work, friends, of being honest with yourself and others when it would be easier not to be. The hard work of changing behavior. Is that not hard to change your behavior? Clearly, none of you have dieted then. It is really hard to change your behavior. You know why I think it's particularly hard to change bad behaviors, especially secret bad behaviors? When people carry secret lies with them, the reason why it's really hard to do it is because it requires two tools that our pride never wants you to use. Our, the pride never wants you to use the tool of confession or accountability. I don't want to confess why, because I want you to see my best sides, all that Ugly stuff, I push it down and put it behind the curtain, right? Accountability. I don't want accountability. I want to be able to do what I want to do, but get the benefits of accountability and confession. I'm talking about other people. Clearly, none of you in this room have ever struggled with this, but many of us have along the journey. See, when it comes to changing behavior, being honest, there's some hard work. Here's the truth many people won't tell you. Sometimes you got to sweat to be free. Sometimes you got to hurt to get on the pathway to freedom. That's the truth. We can oversimplify it and so you can avoid all the pain of freedom. Here's the next one. The other way we oversimplify it and we take shortcuts is sometimes through declaration. We seek freedom through declaration. Now, let me frame this a little bit. I I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And one of the things I love about that heritage, and I realize I, there are people here that are, are Catholics and Anglicans and Baptists. We're, all, we're a mixture of many different backgrounds. But I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And what that meant for me, and one of the beautiful things about that heritage was this. We believed in the church I grew up in that every time we gathered, we believed God was there. Here's what's further. Honestly, we believed this. We believed that God was there, and we believed his power came with him. And that God was able to do anything. So we would come and gather and we would just expect, God's going to do something here today. God has an agenda here today. How can we get out of the way and let God do what he has planned today? That was just part of the wiring that I had. Now, the beautiful part is that I still believe that with all my heart. God is here. Jesus' spirit is here today. And Jesus can do anything. What's that realm of impossibility? Get that out of your thinking. Anything is possible with Jesus. 
But here's the interesting thing, though. In the church I grew up in, sometimes declaration was the beginning and end of freedom. So people will come to the front of the church, as we will shortly, and they'll pr be prayed over, or they'll memorize verses to declare freedom over themselves, verses we just sung in our worship set, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And then Thursday comes, and everything we got freed for, someone declared freedom over us, and we find out Thursday we're still in prison. Why? Listen, freedom is not an event. It's a pathway. And sometimes we want declaration, and I get it, because you know what's interesting about, if you have somebody declare you're free, pray for you, you're free, it's all fixed. You know what happens? You don't have to change. And when things don't turn around, you have someone to blame. God. Clearly God didn't come through. I'm still in the same mess I was in before. It's so tempting to buy into declaration. And I get it, though. Here's the problem, though. Declaration without irritation is not a formula for emancipation. You notice the trend here? I'm going to help you remember this this week. Declaration without irritation is not a formula for emancipation. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes what we really want to be freed from is our consequences of our prison. We don't want to be let go out of the prison. Because to be honest with you, some of us love the bondage we're in. And you know what it's going to take to bring you to a place where you want to be free? More trouble. More irritation. To get to a place where you're just sick and tired of being where you are. To get to a place where being free is the only option. And all of a sudden, declaration has incredible power because we are wide open to change, to change. That's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes it, it takes irritation to want us to change our behavior, to change our peer group, to change what we get appetites that we've developed in the middle of sin. See, the pathway to freedom is a little complicated. Sometimes it requires irritation. So we want to get free. Sometimes it, it certainly requires declaration. We need a moment where Jesus liberates us. Then it requires perspiration because we've been prisoners for a long time. We need to learn a new way of living and it certainly requires inspiration. Every one of us needs along the way to be encouraged in our faith, not to give up, not to grow weary in doing good because if we don't at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. The key to understanding this is to understand the difference between liberation and freedom because they're two different things. Uh, track with me just for a minute. We, last week was Remembrance Day, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the old footage in 1945 when the Canadians liberated Holland. It's pretty interesting footage. The tanks rolled into the cities in Holland. The soldiers are riding on it and marching. And all the Dutch people were throwing flowers and it was a celebration. Why? Because the Canadians had liberated Holland. They had liberated it. And in the midst of liberation moments, there was a declaration of liberation. There was inspiration. Everyone is pumped. How could you not be pumped that day? The Nazis had been pushed out. The occupying force had been, they've been freed from the occupying Nazi forces. It's, they're free. The Canadians went home. Who did the hard work of putting back together 
everything that had been broken while they were captive. It required some perspiration to be free. Liberation was a moment and event. Freedom took time. Freedom was rebuilding everything that had been broken while we were in prison. Everything that had been broken by our bad behavior and, or, or, or besetting sins and controlling elements, everything had to be put back in order. And it also required some irritation. Because along the line, when you've been in prison for a long time and you're set free, you know a lot of prisoners try to reoffend to get back into prison? This is an interesting thing psychiatrists talk about. Because there's a predictability and it feels safe even though it's prison. And so you've got to learn a new way of thinking. You've got to be freed from that old slave mentality. You need a new way of thinking. See, friends, one of the things we sometimes at church, and I, I hold guilt in this, sometimes we major on liberation and minor on freedom. It's both. We need both in these moments. Uh, let me let you know a secret of Pastor Keith's. He's thinking, which one now? Which one? Which one? I, you know, something that Pastor Keith, our teaching pastor, and myself, if you've noticed, every time, or often when we teach, there's usually similar challenges at the end. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. How many, how many remember a moment where Pastor Keith or I challenged you to find a place to serve? Not enough. There's like five of you or something. Wow, I, clearly, Pastor Keith, we need to amp that up. Have you ever felt a moment or have we ever, you, you ever heard us challenge you to give? Okay, we're seeing more hands. Wonderful. I, I'm, I'm paying attention what you're paying attention to. Uh, we've challenged you over the years to become a part of a community group. We have challenged you to value the word of God and pray for it, right? We have challenged you to worship. We have challenged you to pray. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why those things all the time? Is it because Pastor Keith is stuck in a rut and I'm stuck in a rut and we don't know what else to challenge you for? Well, no. Is it because somehow it'll make a change in our lives? Listen, I hope you're a part of a community group, but it doesn't really change the way I live. Why we challenge you that way is because those are precisely the habits of those who've been liberated and who want to remain free. Those are the precisely the habits of those who've been liberated, but they want to remain free. Every time you pray, what are you doing? You are humbling yourself. You are killing that pride inside of you, and you are saying, God, I can't do this without you. Every time you join a community group, you know what you're doing? It's pretty amazing. When you join a community group, you are declaring really to your old self, I am not a self-made man. I'm not a self-made woman. I need God and I need his people in my life. I'm not special and different and can go it by myself. Every time, friends, every time we give, we are pushing back at that old nature, that imprisoned captivity mindset that said, listen, I, I love money. It's about me. And we're pushing that back. We're pushing against greed and materialism every time we do that. Every time we read God's word, we are, we are declaring and we are cleansing our minds and we're saying, listen, not what I think is true, but what you know is true. We are pushing back against those things. These are the habits of those who've been liberated. So at the end of our gathering today, 
And we're almost, we're, I'm just going to tell you a story. And we're going to unpack it briefly. But at the end of the gathering, I'm going to have our elders who are in the room. And they have little white lanyards around their neck. Our prayer team and our pastors. And they're going to come to the front here. Because for months, this has been brewing in my heart. I believe God wants to set people free. I believe everybody has a next step in freedom. I'm praying that during this message, the Holy Spirit will prick your heart in an area that he wants you to free you from your thinking, your mindsets, your behaviors, the limiting factors that keep you from living the life God planned for you. So we're going to believe that God are good, people are going to be liberated. So I would say, as the Holy Spirit lets you know that, know this at the end of the gathering, we're going to pray, come expecting to be free. And if you're an elder in the room, a pastor or a prayer team, I'm going to invite you to come and pray expecting that people will be freed, not by your power, but by the power of Jesus that is resident in this place. So Exodus chapter 5, you there? Of course not. You didn't know to get there. Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to read a few verses. This is a story picking up from our last series. And we talked a little bit about the children of God, the children of Israel being in prison. They were slaves. And this is a part of the story that I've never really focused much attention on. But I want to read a few verses with you and we'll unpack it. And then we're going to move into a time of prayer. Exodus chapter 5 verse 1. It says this. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. He, he makes a declaration of freedom. So that they may have hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce their quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies, the lies of Moses and Aaron. Verse 10, then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go out and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use as straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them and saying, complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today or as before? Verse 19. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they told them, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, this is really important, may the Lord look on you. And this is the people saying to Moses and Aaron, 
May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials have put the sword in their hands to kill us. Something very, very complicated is happening in this text. Very, very complicated. Pharaoh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. We're going to go into the desert and sacrifice and celebrate to God. And Pharaoh says, no, you're not. In fact, I'm going to make you make bricks without straw. In other words, I'm going to double your work. I'm going to make it even harder on you so that you pay no, attentions to Mo- to, no attention to Moses and Aaron and what they're teaching. And then it says this. It's fascinating. It almost missed me the first time I read it. Pharaoh introduced uh, these, this increase of tasks, and it says that the Israelite overseers, these are Israelites that the Egyptians had appointed to control the slave workforce. It says that the, over, the Israelite overseers Sears realized they were in trouble. What a strange thing for slaves to say. How can you not already know you're in trouble? You're a slave. How can you not already realize? How come you need extra trouble on top of your trouble already to realize that you're in trouble? Why do you need more trouble to help you realize you've always been in trouble? You're a slave. And they meet Moses and Aaron after they left Pharaoh's court. And he's given these orders. And they confront them. And they're angry. And they say, this is your fault. This is your fault. Uh, You've made us obnoxious. One translation says, you've made us a stench in the nostrils of Pharaoh. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are already obnoxious to Pharaoh. You are already a stench in his nostrils. What do you mean we made you that way? You're a slave. You're in prison. See, something interesting is going on here. If you need more trouble on top of the trouble you're already in, it's because you've made friends with your trouble. You've made friends with what or whoever is your prison. See, in this text, it's fascinating when you see them interacting. This is why it would be so hard for them to leave Egypt. This is why it would be so hard for them to be freed. This is why it's so hard for some of us to be freed. To think that Pharaoh is your friend and Moses is your enemy and Moses is your liberator? How messed up does your thinking have to be? How messed up do you need to be that you can't see that? But that's the mentality of those who are in bondage. Now, in fairness to them, friends, in fairness to us, when you are imprisoned and when you're controlled and you're in bondage, friends, When you have all of those things happening in your life, it's really difficult to get free, especially if you've grown up in it. They were 20 generations into slavery. This was normal. Have you normalized your bondage? Have you normalized your thinking? Have you normalized the things that keep you captive? Have you normalized them to the extent that the idea of freedom is scarier than the idea of staying where you are? So I say this not to be unkind to them, because sometimes we look at people, right? And isn't it easier to see other people's bondage in prison? You know, you see some girl, and she's with another guy that she shouldn't be with, and you're like, girl, why are you there? Because she's a prisoner to affirmation or affection or something she's seeking there. Or you meet some guy who continues to make really bad decisions and he's ended a marriage because of that. And, he's ended, and you're like, dude, come on, man. What's wrong with you? Smarten up. 
but he's in a prison of thinking. So I don't want to be unkind to those of us who find ourselves in prisons. When we are, we're not thinking straight. Why would they complain against Moses who came to help them? Why would they think that Pharaoh is actually their friend? Well, freedom's complicated. See, to understand the story in Exodus, and even to understand us when we are trying to move out of prisons to greater places of freedom, you need to understand what is called the Stockholm Syndrome. You ever hear of that? In Stockholm, Sweden, in 1973, how many of you weren't alive in 1973? In 1973, there was a bank robbery that happened. And the bank robbery did not go according to plan, and so the robbers took all of the employees of the bank hostage. What's interesting, they held them for one week as hostage as they negotiated with the police. When, they, when it was finally resolved and it went to trial, all these bank robbers who are hostage takers also went to trial, not one of the bank's employees would testify against them. Why? Well, because during that week, the bank robbers took care of them made sure their medications were brought in, made sure their food was given. The police kept threatening to storm the bank, which would probably not end well for those hostages. And it was the hostage takers, it was the bank robbers who were calming the police down, negotiating, saying, hey, let's let's end this peacefully. They were the ones, and they saw that. So when it went to trial, fascinating story, that the sentences were so low for armed robbery and hostage taking that even the mastermind of it all, he got 10 years. 10 years. Because the people felt safer with their captors, captors than they did their liberators. Sometimes if a church is not warm and loving to people, even when they are in a place of bondage or slavery... Sometimes people can be more, feel more safe with their captives, their captors than they can their liberators. We need to always be a church of grace and love. We don't affirm all the decisions every human being does, but we do have love to extend. We do offer freedom. We do extend the love of Jesus. In the story, this is the way it ends, kind of interesting. So they serve their term. One of the, one of the bank robbers who actually uh, went into prison, once he got out, he married one of the bank employees that he had as a hostage. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's funny. It's incredible until you realize, so did you. So did I. We've all at some point in time married the bank robber. We have married the Pharaoh in our minds We've married an idea of God that was improper. We married some ways of thinking that don't work and hasn't worked for a long time. But here's the truth of those prisoners there, the prisoners in Egypt and the prisoners in this room. The truth is we settle into behaviors. We settle into habits. We settle into patterns and mindsets. They may not have worked for years, but you know, as the saying goes, better the trouble you know than the trouble you don't. I think there's another saying, right? Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Here's what's interesting. Prison was predictable. And as it turns out, we like predictable. Predictable is comforting even if we're in bondage. At least we know what to expect. Freedom is scary because we don't know what to expect. We've never gone that way before. As it turns out, when Moses says, let my people go, this great declaration of liberation, let my people go, it got worse. 
It got worse before it got better. Sometimes, friends, God will allow more trouble in your life on top of the trouble you're already in until you realize that you're in trouble. Some of us, that's exactly what we need, more trouble. Till leaving Egypt sounds like the best idea ever. Until it does, you'll spend yourself cycling through liberation moments but never a freedom path. You'll send yourself cycling, wanting to be free of the consequences of the things that bondage you, but not wanting to be free of the thing that maybe you love. It hasn't got bad enough. So, you know, some of the areas, and think about this, friends. This is just for you as an individual. Remember, this is not for the people sitting around you. This is for you. So think about this. Where's your area of stubbornness? Where's your area that you need more freedom? And then ask yourself this question. How much more trouble do you need to experience before you're willing to do something about it? How much more trouble do you need to bring on your family? How much more trouble do you need to pull into your relationship with other, someone else until you finally say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? Until you finally say, I'm done with being stuck? See, their story serves as a cautionary tale for us today, friends. See, eventually, we know the story. They would be freed, right? They got free in the end. They, they were free, they wandered the desert because although they were physically free, though we know the story, they were never mentally free. They were still married to their bank robber. They were always looking over their shoulder at Egypt. Here's the trap that keeps many Christians from moving in freedom, and it's simply this. When we live our lives mentally, where we no longer live physically. Some of us, we are living mentally in a past relationship that we have idolized somehow, and somehow physically in our present relationship, we don't love the person like we should. Some of us, friends, we're living in 1971. You know what happens when you live in the past? It is such a trap, such a trap, because when you live in the past, and maybe you live in 1971 because it was the, just the, the apex of your experience in life or, or your experience in church or whatever it might be. But here's the problem, though. When you live in the past, your best days are always behind you. It's sad. When a church lives in the past, its best days are always behind her. It doesn't mean we don't nostalgically reminisce and enjoy. But when we live there, friends, it is a trap you were never designed to live mentally or emotionally somewhere you're not physically. Some of us is a little bit closer to home, though. Some of us have gone through some trauma, and it's years you're removed from it. You're removed from that situation, but you're still in that prison. You're still there. Some of us are still at the feet of our parents who never gave us the affirmation we needed, and you're waiting for someone, and they're, they're no longer with you. It's a prison. It's a prison designed to keep you captive. It's a prison designed to keep you living small. And friends, I know this prison so well. I've been there. I know what it's like to feel safer in my own dysfunction than it is to find freedom. Because at least I understand it. At least I get it. At least I know how to operate in my own dysfunction. I've never operated in freedom. Or I know what it's like firsthand to want to live an average life. Just keep your head down. Just live average. Or live an unfulfilling life. 
Why? Because better the trouble I know than the trouble I don't know. What if I took that risk? What could happen? And we begin to build these things up in our minds and head. But the reason being is even if we're in prison, at least we're still in charge of that moment. At least we feel like we're in control. It's predictable. We understand it. It's scary to give up control. Freedom is complicated. It's not as simple as just declaring, let my people go. Because we know Pharaoh didn't let the people go. Pharaoh's an interesting character in the story, isn't he? Listen, he was smart. He was a leader of one of the greatest nations in the world. And when you think about it, one or two plagues in, because you remember there's a series of plagues that finally Pharaoh lets him go. One or two plagues in, he could do the math. It was simple. He wanted to let them go. He wanted to let them go because he would have been like, I don't know what type of force I'm up against, but I want it out of Egypt right now. He would have let them go. But it says God hardened his heart. Why? Because the Egyptians needed to see more plagues and miracles? No. Because God somehow needed to display it? No. Because his people needed to know that God was more powerful than Pharaoh. See, the problem wasn't let my people go. The problem was, will my people let go? Will they let go? Or do they need further irritation and trouble in their lives until they finally say, I'm going to let go? Friends, I learned a lesson years ago in this church when I was leaving it to go to Montreal. I've been on staff here. Some of you have been around for a while, you know. And I was moving and transitioning to a church in Montreal, and I was, it was the in-between time. I was still on staff here. And I walked into the staff kitchen, and there was a previous pastor on staff. His name is Keith Preston in the room. Keith is eating his lunch. I can still see him kick back from his chair, smile on his face, had an apple in his hand, took a bite. Said, Jonathan, you want some advice? See, this is the beauty of being in an intergenerational church. You got lots of people with gray hair and no hair, and they're wise. <laughs> and I said, absolutely, I want to hear it. And he said, here's my advice as you go to Montreal leave. I said, "Uh, Keith, that sounds not nice. (laughs) He said, leave. Don't look over your shoulder. Don't look over your shoulder. Leave and move forward. And the second word of advice was this, and it went with it. And when you get there, don't compare your first chapter there with your last chapter here. Because we all love you. We all know you. We've known you for years. They don't know you. You're walking in unfamiliar territory, and it would be very unfair to compare that chapter, first chapter there, with your last chapter here. Friends, I know that some of us, we don't know what freedom feels like, and it's scary. And your pride is going to want you to remain seated. Your pride is not going to want you to move into places of freedom because it might require confession, it might require counseling, it might require many things. I know that. I know firsthand that. I want you to know this. Sometimes when you get on the pathway to freedom, it's disturbing. It gets a little worse before it gets better. Sometimes you, gotta, you can't compare the comfort of being in prison to the freedom that comes by the Spirit. But I can tell you this by experience. Freedom is life. You're not bound the same way. You think different. You're not driven by what people say to you all the time. You're not held hostage in the same mindset all the time. There's a peace that comes that 
It's hard to describe unless you've experienced it. See, the thing is, there's a, one last freedom tra tra trap. It's when we refuse to let go and trust God. And you have to trust God to let go. So here's how freedom works. Jesus, the Son of God, came to liberate. It was an event and a moment, and he set every captive free. Everyone who had placed their trust in Jesus, there was a liberation moment. And then comes, it might be in a moment of declaration, we are freed from the things that kept us captive. And then sometimes there's next steps, there's perspiration along the way. Because you've lived like a captive for decades or years, and now you need to learn a new way of living, a new life. And sometimes there's irritations that come with it. Because to be honest with you, there are things that were back in Egypt we still liked. And we need to develop new tastes and appetites for things of the kingdom, not things from prison. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.